It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy trade deadline day, Sam. Are you tired of being on your phone yet? Happy trade deadline day, guys. No, I'm doing fine. It's funny, I, uh, a couple years ago, my favorite trick of the trade, and I learned it from a friend and colleague over at ESPN, Tim Bontemps, was on his Mac Airbook one day. And I think at the time I didn't have a Mac Airbook, and I do now. And I learned the art of text messaging through the, uh, the messaging app on the Airbook as opposed to using your phone has become a lifesaver on trade deadline day because you're typing instead of being on the phone. So, you know, I, I might lose a few scoops if people have an Android or a, or a, a Blackberry, if those still exist, but, but that's, uh, that's the, uh, the X factor on a day like today. Sam, all kinds of deals going down from the what seems minuscule to uh, fairly major. I'm uh, curious to know which deal you think is the most important of the bunch. Uh, I might, Gordon. That might be like it might be recency bias, or that's the wrong way of putting it. Like when my focus was pretty heavy on the Aaron Gordon situation, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I'm hyper focused on that, and and then by you know kind of a result giving it too much credit, but I like that move a lot for Denver. Um, I was just kind of sitting here writing about it a little bit, and, and the idea that if he fits in like they hope, and I think he very well may, you know, this would be a good problem to have, but two off seasons from now, you know, he'll be a free agent, and Michael Porter Jr. is going to be a free agent. The Nuggets are going to have a lot of bills to pay, but – if they want to keep these guys, then then that means that it it, it went well, and so we're going to see this year and next year how it looks. But you're talking about a core now with Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and and Aaron Gordon with Michael Porter Jr. that could be really good. And uh, Gordon in particular, they they feel like defensively they're middle of the road right now. I think they're 13th in the league in, in defensive rating, but they just they needed another body in the playoffs to guard, you know, basically the all the future Hall of Famers who are at the, the three spot, you know, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, Luka, all those guys. So I think the Gordon move was pretty good. Uh, obviously, we're really focused on the Western Conference in the playoff race, and you mentioned uh, Denver. I think uh, Gordon and I both agree with you. They got better uh, today. The other one uh, that uh, I thought uh, the other team that really got better was Portland and acquiring uh, Norman Powell from uh, Toronto. Your thoughts on how much better that makes the Blazers? Yeah, I like it a lot. In fact, good timing um, to that question because I, I was trying to pull up the numbers for both Norman and and Gary Trent Jr. Because I like you know Norman's a big time addition, but you know Gary had become a big part of what they do, and that's the the only kind of you know disclaimer on that deal is like you know you, you didn't give up nothing, you know what I mean? And right. I'm looking at it here. You know Gary is uh, is shooting around what do you got? 41 percent overall, which is nothing to write home about, but 40 percent basically from three. On high volume, seven and a half uh, threes per game. So, you know, I think that helps them. But again, losing Gary is is not nothing. But Norman was the one that 
I felt like even in the media, we didn't talk about enough because it's like everybody knew, or at least the word was that he was like 100% getting traded somewhere. Uh, and it's like, well, this guy's out there averaging 20 a game. And and uh, and, and even I, I love his competitive fire and just he, he gets after it. So, yeah, I think that helps him. But we'll see if he can do what Gary did and then some. What do you think of what the Clippers did giving up Lou Williams and getting uh, Rajon Rondo? Um, it's funny because, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it's puzzling from the Clippers side. You know, I wrote a couple weeks ago about how Lou Williams back during the, you know, the bubble experience. And you guys remember the whole magic city thing. He had fallen out of favor with the Clippers. They were ready to move on from him in the off season. And it was partly, you know, they had that terrible finish against Denver in the playoffs. And then, you know, it, it was a distraction, the magic city thing. Um, and then they had kind of claimed since then that he was their third best scorer, third best playmaker. He was important. And then in the locker room, things were good. And, and that is admittedly the hard part of our job sometimes is like, you know, I, I wrote what I was told in the perspective. It was definitely from the Clippers side. And, you know, and now you look at it, you go, oh boy, I think they might have been dressing that up a little bit. Um, because for them to part ways with Lou, and give up two two second round picks, you know, and, and get Rondo back. Which okay, fine. If you get playoff Rondo, that's great. But I mean, Rondo has not looked good this year, and he's giving you know gave the Hawks almost nothing. Um, but I get it. The Clippers needed a playmaker. It's you know, it, this stuff is so funny because that when the trades go down, you try your best to decide what you think. So here I was, kind of you know, I'm, I'm being basically down on the Rondo deal for the Clippers. Um, and then I look at Twitter, and, and Draymond Green is calling it the best trade of the day, you know, for the Clippers. And, and you know, and that's because he values defense and championship pedigree. So we'll see. I mean, it's a, Rondo has got to, you know, reappear and be that guy that he was in the playoffs for the Lakers last year. Sam, the Jazz made a minor move acquiring Matt Thomas from Toronto, but largely standing pat. Uh, your thoughts on them uh, proceeding with the squad they got? Yeah, I mean, no surprise there. You know, don't don't fix what's not broke type of thing. Um, you know, I know they've stubbed their toe a little bit lately, but, you know, the, the body of work is, is very impressive this year. And, you know, they're just – they didn't have that guy that, you know, that you would hear was, was going to be available. Um, in fact, I even saw our guy, Tony Jones, who does a great job covering the Jazz for the Athletic, had written something, you know, kind of positing about, you know, George Yang and might he be available, and that, that kind of got twisted by the, uh, the the online aggregators as if he was really available. But there wasn't much noise on the Jazz, you know, and you wonder a little bit, like if Mike Conley had never found his way you know, with the way that he struggled last season, you know, maybe that's the kind of situation where um, if they weren't winning like they are and he hadn't found his way, then, then maybe – you know, you could have you could have done something there, but Mike's fitting in great. Donovan's playing yeah, out of his mind, and, and the rest of the group is so deep, and you know, just nothing out there that was going to make him better. Obviously, another bit of news from the Jazz: Alex Jensen, uh, Quinn Snyder's number one assistant, is going to stay with the Jazz as opposed to going to his alma mater at the University of Utah as the head coach. 
I don't know if you know, Alex, uh, but my bigger question to you, uh, Sam, is how important are these assistant coaches in the NBA? Because it sure seems like Alex has played a, a real positive role in what the Jazz are doing and developing guys like Rudy Gobert. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't really know Alex. Um, but in general, you know, those guys are very important. That, you know, I even think about a guy who uh, I believe is still in the running for that Utah job with Johnny Bryant, you know, in his time with the Jazz, uh, where, you know, you, you kind of mentioned Rudy with Alex. Well, with Johnny, it was with Donovan, obviously. And and so as much as Donovan and Quinn Snyder had had seemingly really good connectivity, you have this, you know, the, the human nature of the assistant coaching position is that, you know, the, uh, the head coach is, is going to occasionally have to put on that kind of principal hat, you know, and be the, the guy who makes the tough decisions and, and might not always be your favorite. And the assistants need to walk that line between, uh, you know, kind of being friendly with the players, but also, you know, kind of executing on the, the vision of that head coach. And, you know, the good ones, which does certainly seem like Utah has had a, a good share of good ones recently, you know, they, they wind up elevating their own profile all over the coaching industry and, and getting in the running for jobs like the one that, that is in the news today. So um, it's big, you know, and you see the, the flip side of that is countless coaching situations where the head coach either didn't pick his assistants well or maybe the owner, you know, kind of picked assistants for him or her and they and they didn't have synergy and they, they had more, you know, they had backstabbing components that, that definitely happened in, in that line of work. You know, and you see where it uh, it doesn't go well. So, uh, you know, again, Utah's doing it pretty well. Not that talking about rebuilding teams is all that fun, but was there a seller that won today, a team that uh, got some good assets for a rebuild? I mean, I haven't really done a, a final audit on Orlando. I mean, that's the, the most obvious seller for the day. Um, you know, getting, I believe, two firsts per Vucevic, you know, and, and the Gordon deal, where you get a first there with Gary Harris. Um, you know, and the Fournier deal. You know, they 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 end the day with you know having stuff they're covered more than anybody else, and probably I don't know, probably the right move because it's a you know you don't know where their you know what their future is going to hold. You just can't know that at this point. But nobody truly believed that Orlando was, with the, you know, as currently constructed, was anything more than a, a seven or eight seed at best for the next four to five, six years if they kept this cast of characters. And so that's where, you know, especially small market teams, they have a hard time letting go of that because you make money if you sneak into the playoffs. And, you know, um, even if you compare them to, in my backyard, Sacramento, you know, it's, it's two different approaches, and we'll see – which one comes out better in the wash? Because the Kings, you know, the only moves they made were seemingly to get better right now, uh, and they were small moves, uh, adding Delon Wright and and uh, Terrence Davis and you know and whatnot. But um, there were people who thought they should have done what Orlando did and traded Harrison Barnes and tried to trade Buddy Heald and maybe even Rashawn Holmes. So Orlando blows it up, and and we'll see where it all leads. What do you think of Oladipo heading to Miami? Um, I mean, my first thought is just with Houston, you know, and, and you're seeing this all over the social media reaction today is just, 
just a pretty epically low return on the James Harden trade. Now, it's not totally fair to to act as if this is a finished product. You have like five first round picks out. They're probably going to be bad ones, but you know that's where quote unquote grading this stuff gets pretty kind of kind of nonsensical. But nonetheless, like it never made total sense why they had a chance to get Karis Levert in that James Harden trade and instead opted for Oladipo. And, and, you know, some people think the chance to get Levert and Jared Allen, who ended up going to Cleveland. And the Oladipo thing, you know, you're coming back with Avery Bradley and whatever else is in that deal, I'm drawing a blank, but it just wasn't much. It was pennies on the dollar. So that one, I mean, for Miami, it's great because the price was so low. Um, you know, he could help them. And if he doesn't help them that much, then it's not a big deal. He's a free agent this summer, and they didn't lose much. But I also, and you know, I'd written this on our site earlier. Houston, they they basically got caught with a bunch of these other teams that ended up doing deals. Dallas being one of them, um, you know, they thought they had landing spots for Oladipo, and then teams ended up going elsewhere. And the Miami thing came together really late, after a couple of days of, of silence on the Heat front. And then they kind of circled back and said, yeah, let's go ahead and do this thing. And it had been sitting there the whole time. But it feels like it had been sitting there as like a a worst-case scenario, which a lot of people kind of assumed it was. Sam, the Jazz get uh, the Memphis Grizzlies in the next three out of four games, which is uh, including <laughs> Friday, Saturday, back-to-back, one of those uh, COVID uh, oddities in the schedule. But your, your take on the Grizzlies, because, of course, they're a young team and they're building, but you look at their record at 21-20, and 20, I mean, they're out there winning some games too. So what are the Jazz in store for? Yeah, they are. I mean, it's they're one of, you know, they're one of those teams that, unfortunately, because of the media market, we don't hear enough about them. Jaga type. But, you know, from there, you just you don't hear much. Taylor Jenkins is, is doing a nice job. And then, I mean, honestly, another guy that the mainstream public has never heard of, Zach Kleiman, their, their GM, you know, who kind of came from the attorney side and was not, quote, unquote, a basketball guy. I mean, he's doing just fine out there, you know what I mean? And Ja, being the center of what they do, they, uh, they're a pretty good ball club. And they're feisty and, and when healthy, you know, they're playing good ball. So, it's it's also that time of year where if you're Utah, you know, these games matter a lot right now. You got the Lakers who are down and out. You got to take advantage of that um, and try to get right and just firm up your playoff position. You can't be dropping games, you know, to a, lo- a lesser team like Memphis. So you kind of expect everybody's focus to go to a new level right now, especially with essentially, a, you know, a, lot, a much shorter back end of the, post-trade deadline part of the season than we would have normally. You know, the playoffs are not that far off, and, and Utah's been in a great position to uh, to take advantage of that and, and maybe have home court advantage all the way through. Sam, Jake and I have been going back and forth on uh, an issue I want to bring up with you. You've watched so many NBA games and seen players who uh, go through these undulations in their level of play and Boyan Bogdanovich, who is known as a great shooter over the past, what, Jake, five or six games, had been just shooting nothing, blanks, you know, not really struggling. And he came out of it last night finally. Uh, and Jordan Clarkson has been in a bit of a slump too last night, one of 15 from from the floor. Um, 
Is this just is this just part of the nature of NBA basketball? The players are going to go through these slumps, and is the best way just to put them back out on the floor, let them keep their role, and just play through it until until the percentages prop back up? I mean, it is the the Clarkson one would worry me a bit. Um, I mean, I guess we should have known. You know, it's like on the one hand, you should have known that. It, you know, he likely wasn't going to stay that hot forever, but you, you don't want to see the opposite extreme either. And it wasn't like it was a two or three week stretch from Jordan. I mean, it was, it was, you know, half a year. It was really good play. So, you know, he's got that neon green light from Quinn Snyder and you hear about, you know, how confidence is, is not a problem. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, they, they're just kind of one of those teams that, there's no sense in changing the formula. I really don't think there is. I think there's got to be patience when it comes to, you know, the idea that, that the, the, the only downside of playing so well in the first half is that you do inevitably, like, it, it's a lot to ask for that focus and that chemistry to stay at that level from beginning to end of the regular season. And, you know, you could almost argue, like, better to have a few dips in that right now and then get it back and surge into the playoffs. But, you know, it, it's natural, but it, it's also, I mean, who knows? It's so hard to analyze this stuff, but you wonder if it's a little bit of that that baseball component, right, where you see a pitcher for the third and fourth time uh, in the lineup and, and you start tweaking what you do. I mean, you know, the opposing scouting report has, has been building for the Jazz over the course of the year, and, you know, teams are probably finding new ways to try to attack Jordan once they they woke up to the fact that he was a potent part of what their their program. So, um, yeah, but I am curious to see if if he can uh, kind of maintain the way he was early on. Sam, thank you so much as always. Great to have you on on trade deadline day. Thanks for helping us digest it. No problem. Thanks, guys. See you, Sam. That's our friend Sam Amick from The Athletic. And, yes, he has been very busy today. And uh, the coverage of the NBA trade deadline at The Athletic in general has been absolutely terrific there. They're doing a bang-up job. So uh, check out Sam's work at theathletic.com. All right, we'll have more coming up next. It is The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.